Hyperkin is proud to present episode two of Game Store Confessions. And I'm also your host, Terrence James. If you're joining us for the first time, this is a podcast where we interview real independent game store owners and hear stories of what it's like behind the counter and beyond. Today we got to interview Dan Mastin from Video Games New York. We had a really great conversation and it was interesting to hear his take on the industry. What did you think, Terrence? Yeah, he had a lot of really great things to say and, you know, it was cool to hear, you know, about all the history that went behind Video Games New York. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, without further ado, here's the interview. Hey, we're here with Dan Matson from Video Games New York. Uh, thank you, Dan, for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, anytime. Thanks for uh, giving me a call. Yeah, of course. Okay, so um, to start off, um, you guys, you do a lot at Video Games New York. Um, can you explain to the audience like what positions you hold at the store? Uh, my official title is General Manager. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, like in any small business and, and anything that's passion-driven, uh, a lot of us here will hold multiple hats. So we kind of have a part in all of it, but uh, it's general like orchestrating the whole environment and the, the direction of the company. That's awesome. Hmm. Um, what, what would you say is your favorite thing that you do at the store? Uh, my favorite stuff is, is really like the, the core things like just bringing up customers like mm-hmm. as, as much as as i love hearing the you know the the back and forth and just communicating with people and being in touch with them but my other secret passion really is um um working on like the store displays you know it's where you take a, an hour and you just open up a case and you go through and you, you clean and arrange and you sort and you get to like put the stuff out um it's really working with all the the physical medium and just remembering what it was like of that generation just to have like stacks of this stuff around Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Um, so for those of us who haven't been to your store, um, can you tell like a, a little bit about it, um, a little background information on it, and like what they can expect when they visit? Sure. Uh, Video Games New York uh, is what we retitled ourselves in 2006 once we uh, moved over here um, to our new location. It's really just an independent game store uh, dedicated towards towards video games and video game culture. Uh, we decided to never stop carrying any version, you know, or any generation. So we, we have all the generations of games since the beginning till now, and we even import stuff from Japan and Europe, so we carry things that aren't even out yet in this country. Where exactly is uh, Video Games New York located? So we are in the East Village of Manhattan, so it's going to be on 6th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue. Oh, cool. Okay, so you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that you get, like, different imports in. Is there anyone in particular that, like, is, is your favorite? <laughs> uh, some of it is just the, the physical form of it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like, most recently, Okami for the Switch and the, the Phoenix Wright trilogy coming up. You know, they are choosing to do those digital only in America, um, which is is a little saddening because these are games that we've we've played and and just loved and to not be able to keep them physical um, is is really questionable why they are choosing to do them physical in one country and not in another. Um, but there are other games 
that have come out that are really just fantastic ones that are just not available in this country. Um, stuff like Million Arthur mm-hmm. uh, is a newer fighting game that's that's very like arcade-like that's out in Japan on the PlayStation 4, mm-hmm. um, but they've never released it dig- digital or physical here in America. Well, it's, I mean, we have companies like um, Limited Run doing everyone you know pretty good service by mm-hmm. releasing some mm-hmm. pretty niche and obscure games, but you know in really small quantities. So I remember um, I was trying to get Night Trap. <laughs> and I was at work, and I was like, okay, well, I can take a break and probably try to get it. At, I think it was supposed to come out at 3 p.m. And yep. when I refreshed the page, sold out. <laughs> so right. Celia, <laughs> that... Celia was cool enough to pick it up for me at the limited run booth at PAX, was it PAX West 2017? Yeah, yeah um, I had to uh, get on a raffle for it <laughs> because they had such a limited quantity, you know, obviously limited run, yeah. um, that, like, people, like, were, like – wanted to fight over it so they're like no we have a raffle this time you get your number called then you can get it and uh, i was lucky enough to get the winning ticket right and then the the companies like limited run and and all the other ones doing it have just been amazing and they've really showed the 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 industry that physicality is something that people want um and it's, it's ironic you bring up night trap because that was like the game that helped us build our relationship with limited run you know we get a oh, small okay. portion of all their product in the store because um, we basically wanted to create more outlets for them besides this, you know, one time on a website that sells out immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so we helped uh, helped come up with this kind of like partnership retail experience. And now they have probably about 20, 25 stores across the U.S. and Canada. Mm-hmm. They get a very small batch, but it's just another way. So if you missed it online and it sold out too fast, you know, you have a chance of, of getting at these stores who guarantee that they're not going to scalp it. Um, they're not gonna, you know, sell them online. It's only in the physical brick and mortar stores. Um, it's it's been a really interesting ride with them and experience just to, again, find new ways to, to work twice as hard to sell uh, the the physical <laughs> medium as as people really, really do care and appreciate it. No, definitely. I mean, having something to hold in, in your hand, um, nothing can really replace that. I mean, the resurgence of cassette tapes and VHS tapes. And, you know, even the huge resurgence of vinyl in the past, you know, vinyl, decade. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's even to the point where, um, you know, people are releasing, um, you know, vinyl recordings of video game soundtracks, which is, right. you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's like, oh, do you want to hear a bunch of like lo-fi bloopies and bleeps, but on an even more analog, <laughs> um, an even more analog setting, which is hilarious, but... It just goes to show that people, they want to own stuff. They want to, to touch things, to be able to hold it and show it off to their friends and family. So. And some of it's more than retro bloopies and bleepies. You know, <laughs> companies like Datadisk have, have definitely gone, like, to the extreme to capture, like, the highest fidelity of, like, these older titles. You know, they focus on Sega licensed stuff. Oh, no, um, no. And they, they do a fantastic <laughs> job of it. But No, definitely. Um, I would also say it's more than just physically holding it. You know, if if history has taught us anything, and every new generation kind of has this point where they learn it, is that digital media, while as as accessible as it is, and it's you know we almost call it like the the lazy version of it. Yeah. Um. You know, because it never runs out of stock, and you can have it whenever you want. The problem is you can't share that with anybody, and you can't you know. So if I if if you got you know Night Trap, and you know you really wanted to let someone else play it you know they'd have to go out and buy it versus you just say hey borrow my copy um 
but it also has a, a double kind of meaning to it. The, the games are almost like stock where they go up. You know, sometimes like your copy of Night Trap could sell for $70, $80 used if you chose to later on. Um, but say you bought a brand new title um, for 60 bucks that you really didn't enjoy. Like you thought you were going to love it and it just wasn't your game. Like you can immediately turn around and sell that back. So you have a way of, of getting you know, kind of like your your value back out of the title instead of being stuck with it, you know, versus a digital purchase minus, you know, these short return windows they have um, two weeks later if they change the game. Mm. Yeah. You'd have a hard time kind of getting any value back out of that, and it just it dies with your system. No, definitely. Yeah, and it, it, it's also like um... – adding the user experience, like, when going to a store. Because, like, I know online, like, I Googled, like, you know, ran and, like, searched forums to try to, like, mm-hmm. find game recommendations. But there's mm-hmm. nothing like going into a store and being like, hey, what's your favorite game? Uh, why, you know, what what are the perks of it? Like, what, what's your favorite part? Like, what's it like? Um, and I, I love that. And that's, that's one thing. People come in and they feel so timid when they, they ask us, you know, that all the time. Like, day in and day out, we'll hear so many people like, you know, I don't know if people ask you this or like, I, I don't know if you have time, but but I really like this game. Like, you know, it's just like this is our bread and butter. Like this is what we we wake up in the morning and and can't wait to do for somebody who walks in and says, you know, my, you know, girlfriend or my wife has, has never really enjoyed video games, um, but she sees me play them. You know, it's like, you know, and just finding them a recommendation and, and the simple short list of questions that we usually ask somebody to to match these people up with a game that's going to fit their personality is, is just so rewarding, but also it's, it's part of a community. Um, and that's, that's something you'll definitely not really get in like a, uh, a digital storefront because it's everything there is for choosing. So it's like when you go to Netflix and see, you know, a hundred thousand movies on there, you could spend more time scrolling through the menu than actually watching a movie. No, definitely. Um, going back to like, you know, having physical media, um, I'm in a chiptune band myself. I make the bleepy bloopies and um, <laughs> we, we press some songs onto vinyl and a lot of people who like buy our merch or even my friends, um, you know, they'll, they'll buy the vinyl and they'll be like, oh, hey, so you have a turntable and everything? They're like, no, but um, I'm going to use a digital download, but I really just want this to show off or to, to have like physical evidence that I own this game. So, I mean... <laughs> I'm pretty sure people are doing the same with limited run if they are buying the physical copy and they're probably they're probably maybe not popping it in but they just want something to have on their shelf like I don't know if you're familiar with the term shelfies but it's just hashtag, <laughs> hashtag people are using to show off their game shelves which is really funny and right. also book um, book lovers use that um, that term too whenever they're posting yeah. stuff on Instagram and some of it's about double dipping you know some of these people willingly bought the the digital title um but they they enjoy the game so much they're buying physical mm-hmm. um you do definitely have a percentage of it that that's people that are just wanting like a collection or it's it's for show um or people that are, are really just in it to to flip it which is what's made it so difficult for the people who truly care um but you know there, there's definitely like a balance of that and it, it, you know coming from that that bleepy bloopy world it definitely seems like um, you know, it's it's not limited to games. You know, it's it's across all different kinds of medium. You know, what's a you know what's a game that I want to shelfie it to what? get to coin the term? <laughs> um, ukulele. So oh. limited run came out with an N sixty four box mm. for Switch. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, though, is I already have the game for PlayStation four, and it's one hundred percent. Like I played through it, I love it. And I'm like, I don't even have a Switch, but I'm like, 
I want that <laughs> for that my box shelf. is so adorable. Like we have some in, um, and it's just anytime you know that they make these things so creative um, that match like an older thing. Uh, I'm so excited. You know, Shantae's doing it, and the Jack stuff they're doing it, where they're bringing back and creating like the retro aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. Um, where we're super supportive, and people just to see it and go nuts. Like the one they did that I absolutely fell in love with, which was the um, the Odd World special edition for for vita um it came with an actual can like a real life can with nothing in it um that was you know the content from the game and it was just it made it very special so anyone who saw that wouldn't care they would just think it's useless merch um but anyone who's into it you know just just seeing that can and holding it was just like why would anybody make this like this this has no no merit in the world but it's it's so amazing and it's so meaningful to people who have played the the title so yeah, cool. <laughs> definitely. Um, I think uh, some guy on Twitter, he uh, customized his Switch just to get ready for the Shantae limited run release. And he used our um, uh, silicone skins to, you know, to do like the red. So to go along with his purple Switch that he customized. Then he set up a whole really nice picture and everything. And then he tagged, um, you know, the studio. And the studio, like, they're like super impressed. And... Uh, um, he also tagged us too. So by like, I don't know, by by means of, uh, uh, I don't know, just being associated with that with that whole tweet, I was super geeking out just because. Oh, I guess uh, we're on their radar now, uh, just because I'm a big fan of like the original Game Boy game and everything like that. But oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. fantastic, fantastic title, and that's what's carried us a lot through. Um, but a lot of that, the company, you know, has everything they made up until a certain point was just outstanding and and very underrated you know way forward and, and all the crew um does such a good job at creating something that that we reach out to and there's only a few companies um over the years that really you know you you stand out like platinum games is another one where just you know they had such a following mm-hmm. of people that would play anything that they made because they enjoyed what they played mm-hmm. uh and it's it's great to see people kind of like finally catch up with way forward i feel like was a almost a decade after you know they had produced many good titles that they finally got their their due where it was like we've we've made so many great games people are finally starting to to pick up on that we're the developers of these yeah definitely shantae for smash (laughs) shantae for smash 2019 (laughs) (laughs) okay oh my gosh that's awesome gonna see shovel knight before that unfortunately oh yeah oh yeah well they can they can announce two they can they can have both why not (laughs) right Every they, fight, could. they brought back every fighter. They could they could bring in these guys and Banjo Kazooie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, so Dan, like you know, we were talking about like the user experience and all that. So what personally for you like made you want to be a part of the process of like opening up what became Video Games New York? Uh, a lot of it was just looking for that passion project. You know, I, I had done a lot of different high end corporate jobs in the past. You know, I'd worked for Namco and Canon. Um, and, and games are really like a, a passion, um, but it, it wasn't really what I'd like. I like retail, and I like working with people uh, and just talking with people on a, a general forefront. And there was just a, a point where the the video game stores that were remaining uh, or that were opening were starting to become very commercialized. You know, now, you know, in the, the time before that, you had relied on mom-and-pop shops, and now it was starting to become you know, EB Games, which is GameStop mm-hmm. and um, Best Buy and um, Toys R Us, which mm-hmm. did a lot for the industry. And they definitely helped 
extend it, but they also lost that 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 feeling. You know, if you went back to like a KB Toys back in the day uh, or Funko Land, um, <laughs> rest their soul. Uh, you know, you would have walked in and you would have come across somebody who who had like a a mom and pop style expertise. You know, these people played the games, they loved the games. You know, they were definitely young. This was like a high school college job, um, but they would give you like a real sense of of what's what's on the system and align with you. But now the newer ones, it's just you find someone to unlock the the case to to pull the game out, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the most you'll get. Um, but a lot of it too was just looking at what we were becoming before we retitled to the video games in New York, uh, and it was kind of like the same thing. Like we were in in flow with them, and we really wanted to to cater more towards um, the the community. We really wanted to be able to run something that can can shift with what people wanted. Um, and I really wanted something that, that would personally reach back into the, the older days and that would kind of serve as a, um, a categorizing or almost like a, a library for video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had to find a way that could do that and still make money, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to pay the bills for everything. And, and after a couple of years of tweaking the format um, and just, you know, finding something that worked, I mean, it was it was a huge, huge passion project, you know, and I, I'm so grateful that we were able to, to build something that people appreciated that that day in and day out, you know, pays the bills. But also it gives us the room to look forward to preserving mm-hmm. Um you know, right now it's like we're we're doing the opposite of what everybody does. You know, our commitment to, to brick and mortar, our our commitment to, to very little online sales, um, and and to systems that are kinda on their way out. Like the PlayStation Vita is a system we love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, through and through and it, it's something I am now buying everything left from everybody, uh, just to to have it, you know, at a an affordable price, you know, not an Amazon price. Um years to come you know we're we're setting ourselves up to really have everything so if someone wanted to experience it they they could they don't have to to go digital and they don't have to start to like dig through the internet to to pay twice the price Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it doesn't make any sense i mean the way that other media is treated you know um you know we have to use the term you know retro gaming or retro video games but no one ever (laughs) says like retro retro books Retro movies. I guess you, people do say old movies, or but mm-hmm. why? Why is why is gaming the only um, you know the only platform where you have to use that term? I mean, why can't we just play a game from the '80s or '90s without having to be called like a retro gamer or something? Um, when I used to go to my local mom and pop store when I was a kid, I was maybe like ten or eleven. Um, this is probably in the mid to late '90s. Um, I used to buy a lot of NES titles and, you know, at the time, you know, N64 and PlayStation and Saturn were were pretty popular, Mm -hmm. but I didn't think of it as just retro gaming. I just thought of it as like, oh, I'm going to buy NES games because they're like $3 or they're like two bucks and they're all, they're games I never got to play before. And, you know, the guys were behind the counter would just tell me all about the games and it was like a whole experience, but I never thought like, um... I'm making a conscious effort to play old games or something like that. It's just, I still had the NES. Why not still buy games for it? Yeah, like, I completely agree on that. Like, I didn't even know that, like, there was a sect of retro gaming. Mm-hmm. Like, I, um, because, like, I got, like, I have, like, the Dreamcast, or, like, the N64, like, PlayStation, PlayStation 1, well, I mean, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 1, uh, like, like, Sega Genesis and all that, and... 
I really thought that like you know I was just playing games like and that that was it. I didn't like and I didn't buy anything again until mm-hmm. like 2017 when I, <laughs> when I got a PS4. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's definitely a couple of layers in there. You know, retro is almost like a badge that, that that generation uses to identify, you know, its 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 product. But you know, video games, um, it's separate. You know, technically, it's one of the youngest media industries. You know, mm-hmm. music has been around longer, movies has been around longer, books has been around longer, um, and it's something that this is the one thing that we can say why everything is catching up to video games last, even though it doesn't necessarily make sense. It's just because it is the youngest medium, you know, it's, mm. it's it relatively started in the seventies um, in the, in the video gaming um, for the most part, it commercially became more of a success in the eighties um, and then had a blip and then came back. And it's one of the only mediums to, to grow at this exponential rate. Um, as technology progresses, video games is, is hand in hand with it. But, you know, I would also say that, you know, other media formats have their version of it. You know, comics have like the gold and silver age. Mm-hmm. Um, movies have definitely like their their other format. You know, you get to like black and white and you get to like where they used to call them talkies, um, <laughs> you know, or and silent films. Um, it's just it's it's so exaggerated because. In in video games, like you have a clear definition of every generation. Like there's not really a generational, you know, identifier for for books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, books they get translated, they get modernized, they get revisions, but there's nothing as as predominant. Same with like music. Music transitioned mediums, but a lot of times it's the same recording, just in different fidelities and different bit rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, there's not something that's that's truly, you know identifiable like you can see different genres come into it mm-hmm. you know where we we start to see all these crazy genres now like glitch hop and and trance you know versus <laughs> back in the days it was you know blues rock jazz hip-hop um you know and and you can kind of start to compare like i feel like music is going to have its its time where you know now everything is so produced mm-hmm. um and everything is almost produced like a top top 40s album regardless of what it is if you go back into like the 2000s and the 90s and listen to the way that music was produced versus nowadays just everything was was so different it depended on the 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 musicians it depended on the recording it depended on the producer so audio will have i feel like in its future coming it'll have its own branding like retro where we'll start mm-hmm. to, to diagnose the different generations based on more technology um but games as a whole you know Ironically, you know, most of us never thought about collecting games, about keeping them sealed. It was just an experience, you know, mm-hmm. and as it transitioned from arcade, as it came into our homes in different formats, um, it's, you know, hindsight, it was silly of all of us versus, um, you know, we had the comic books and, and cards and, you know, all kinds of different like collectible stuff, you know, 80s, 70s, 60s, you know, those were huge collector's generations. Mm-hmm. Like people collected things that weren't as commercial stamps rocks yeah um leaves you know things that people made spoons simple stuff now we're getting into collecting very very expensive sometimes items um and that are are so commercial that they're coming out instead of you know a quarter from every state you're collecting you know every game that came out on a system which is now thousands of titles Mm -hmm. uh and it's just getting to a, a different degree uh the market is but a lot of us transitioned up and then as people went to the new one you know you would just receive a console that was old from somebody else um 
for a, a good extent of it. And somewhere around like the the nineties really it started to to solidify that gaming was here to stay, mm-hmm. that a lot of content is there, and we started to get movements in the two thousands for people to preserve um the the video games as some of it started to become lost. Now we're we're seeing more than ever about lost source code, you know, infrastructure that is no longer accessible for for them to bring these games back. You know, Square has has talked a lot about, you know, they didn't really lose the source code to to a lot of their Final Fantasy games. It's just built on an infrastructure that's not accessible. Yeah. No, that's true, especially like with preserving and like, you know, making sure like like it is not only like as an art, but like as an experience also. Like yeah, certain games you know, that are, like, super rare, you, you can't even find that, like, you know what I mean? So, like, some of the games are going to be, like, lost to history, kind of, you know? Some of it, definitely, and and we're seeing that with, with digital stuff. You know, the one we speak out a lot nowadays is, like, Scott Pilgrim, um, the, the video mm-hmm. game. Such a fantastic, great game, but it's just, you know, it's refusal to come back. You know, the license holders won't, won't see it, but being a game off of a movie... You know, there's so many hoops to jump through to, to try to, to yeah, recover and to, to bring this thing back. Um, we saw it a lot with the GoldenEye remake where, where Microsoft struggled, you know, with Nintendo. They had already picked up the the rights from Paramount for the GoldenEye license. They owned Rare, uh, so they had the code and everything. And it really came down to part of that code had been written on Nintendo's source code for the 64. Um, and just, you know, Nintendo refused to, to as they put it, they refused to share. Mm-hmm. You know, when Microsoft extended their royalties to the 64, said, hey, you know, you guys can release the 64 version on your virtual console, mm-hmm. you know, royalty free. You won't have to pay us for any of the code we own. We've already paid the Paramount licensing. Um, you know, Nintendo just wasn't having it because they also knew that Microsoft was going to be releasing the, the HD version of it. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because of that, after they had even already made it, they had to transition to Perfect Dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, huh? Yeah, the, the spiritual the successor. <laughs> Right. But we got a full HD remake of that, but they actually made the full HD remake of GoldenEye. They just weren't able to to release it. And then some of that hit the net and people have preserved it. And if you've ever gotten a chance to play it, it's it's, it's really fantastic. Um, but we see this every few generations. You know, Grand Theft Auto Vice City got taken down because of the, the audio expiring. Um, mm. The rights to the music had a lot of like Michael Jackson music in it. Um, and they had to re-put it up without that music. Um, things like Crazy Taxi on that Dreamcast collection for the Xbox 360. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't even approach the band for relicensing it. They just, by default, removed the music, put the game on the, you know, the, the 360 without mm-hmm. even having the original stuff, and that just changes the game completely. Yeah. Um, so it, it's starting to, you know, get these calls for people really wanting to preserve it, but there's just so much to preserve in so many different ways again it, it's so different than like a movie like you can find a movie that has 10 different cuts and that has different different versions on different reels you know shot at different frame sizes um but it, it's never going to be as extensive as a property that has transitioned you know multiple years of development slash updates um and now it's it's only getting harder and harder because all of these titles live in such a digital format Mm-hmm. And they yeah. can change completely from like release time to like the week after. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, so speaking of preserving, um, I, I recall that you guys have in your store like a, a video game museum. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Okay, like 
for preserving Wise, like what is, what would you say is like I guess one of like the the rarest things in there that you guys have been able to like have for like future generations Our, to check out. Museum isn't so much a museum, but it is is just as you said, where it is meant for people to come and experience something that one is either too expensive for them to buy or mm-hmm. two something they would never really should buy. Um, and it it's always rotating. You know, some of the stuff has been here for years. Some of it has has been here for a very short amount of time. You know, we have a lot of signed items um, Ooh, what, what, that uh... have been donated to the store. So, like the the Metal Gear um, Four Special Edition Japanese PS3. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that gunmetal translucent system. You know, that was signed by Kojima for us. Um, we have, you know, a uh, an original DS that was signed by Mimoto. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> technically cool. twice. Because the Nintendo World event, like the first hundred people got a skin that was also signed by him. So that's been oh, applied okay. on the inside, versus the outside of the system also has a signature. Um, and at Fune, <laughs> we did a, a couple events with him uh-huh. um, wow. before Mighty Number no. 9. So he signed, you know, uh, some fun stuff, you know, a copy of Mega Man um, 2 and Rockman 2, for those of you who, who uh, <laughs> pay a little more attention to that kind of stuff. Um and it, it just kind of transitions around and rotates. You know, we have a PlayStation tool development system, which looks like a giant PS2. Like, it's it's ginormous. Um, but it's actually a functional PS2 slash PC um, that was donated to us from from Take-Two. Uh, and it's it's really, like, a, a great showpiece. Um, other things are, are really, like, simple, tiny little guys. You know, it's like Game & Watch systems, and the actual, like, watches or the, the VHS cassette tapes that Capcom sent out for Street Fighter Two. Um both for the Genesis version and for like the Super Nintendo version, um, just it was it was pure propaganda. If you ever watch those, where it's uh-huh. like this suburban kid in the the mall, and he's he's really just like telling you this is the best <laughs> graphics ever with the best audio ever, comparing it to the original arcade version, which is completely untrue. Uh, and I don't know how they expected anyone to really buy into that, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They put them in print and sent it out in VHS format. Two, um, most of them were one went out to the the Sega Club or um, stuff, and the other one was um, at the time the Nintendo Power subscribers also received them in, in certain areas. Mm-hmm. You know, um, going back to um, you know digital being preserved. Uh, I don't know if you know, but like Scott Pilgrim, at least in LA, it's become sort of a midnight movie kind of thing so you know a lot of the indie indie theaters here will do uh, a midnight scott pilgrim screening like maybe like once a month but the game it's lost in limbo i mean think about all the artists that had to come together to make that title so you you know you have yeah. paul robertson the amazing pixel artist shout out to mm. anamanaguchi for that amazing soundtrack <laughs> and the game you know it's it's stuck on the 360 it's never gonna i don't know if there's any efforts to have it come out but but I mean, there was... has been. <laughs> I see. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of my favorite examples. Of the best game, you know, and 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 a lot of the team has gone on to to form tribute. Who they do games, um, and they work with Limited Run. Um, mm-hmm. The the movie itself has is really such a cult following. Mm-hmm. But definitely, it's it's been explored, and it would it, it dead ends at the property owner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They just have no desire to do it but i i will tell you that on the industry back end like that's that's number one like requested um <laughs> there's so many people that are just dying for that to happen 
Um, I hope that we could all just keep talking about it more and more. And then eventually someone will actually be like, yeah, well, maybe we should do that. But, um, you know, everything about that was great. The Anamanaguchi guys, you know, we've, we've even shot video here in the store for them. Oh, right um, they've come in a couple of times. I mean, the fantastic guys, um, you know, the, the work that they do and, and, you know, we joke that they created that, that whole industry, um, which they, they really didn't. But they've done so much commercial side of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it's it's really, you know, something that they've done a lot of legwork for the individual, you know, chip tuners out mm-hmm. there um, to be able to, to produce an album and actually have it uh, have a medium to hit and a community to follow. No, definitely. Mm-hmm. What I say is I, the reason I brought that up is because for your museum, you should just make your own physical copy of Scott Pilgrim, uh, have Paul <laughs> sign it, have all the Anamanaguchi guys sign it, and then you'll have the only physical <laughs> version, even no. if it's just a case. You'll have a, you'll have a switch case. case. That's so funny. Well, someday we're going to get beyond that. Uh, I guarantee, you know, it, it's definitely something that I, I will not let go. I know the guys over at Limited Run are very adamant to um, – those those guys are, are are very serious about it, and uh, I hope that we all can just keep pushing, and and pushing for finally to to see the light of day. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so okay, Celia. Um... So, okay, so for like people like I guess like pushing games, like you know, constantly like asking for it. Um, is there like a specific game that you would say is like one of the most popular, like when people come into your store? Uh, always, but since, you know, we're, we're in a big city that has a, a ton of people, like we can kind of see the trends going, you know, when they do an HD, some people want to get into the old one when there's a big event series on it. Uh, again, people want to dip into it, but there's also, there's never a bad time or there's never a moment that someone won't ask for something that was legendary. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. like you, you always get like your Mario Karts and smashes and, and, and things like that. But Lately, you know, we've seen a lot of people coming in asking for Jeff Def Jam New York, mm-hmm. um, you know, but there was a relatively sizable tournament on that uh, and the, the local community here. Um, and some of it's just the stuff you can't find anywhere. You know, it's like the survival horror stuff has, has been huge in back end. So like Rule of Rose, mm-hmm. um, you know, is, is something that a lot of people didn't get to experience. And that is just tremendously expensive online mm-hmm. um, and, and so hard to to come across um and it's it's just there's probably a whole page of things that people will will come in but it, it's always different you know four and five years ago people were asking for Skoden 2 um you know every day it was like do you have this do you have this and now that it's <laughs> out digital like finally like the people who just want to play it uh-huh. have have a new resource for it an official resource um versus the people who who want it in their collection so it it kind of chips away and, and it helps the price come down um which is generally good for a lot of us in this industry um because it's it makes it more accessible and it makes these game works no longer you know super unattainable mm-hmm. uh, that some of these titles can get up to because they were were so limited and they only ever received one printing um but they were so amazing that they deserve more yeah that's really cool would you say that like okay so yeah people are always asking for different titles um, so you said that like there's different waves of things that people want um, would you say that like there's the same thing with like consoles for example like like in 2019 like what would you say would be like the most popular like console either being retro or modern 
Well, uh, so for 2019, you're going to be happy to hear this one, Celia. It's it's definitely uh-huh. the 64. Yes. Nintendo 64 is the top of everyone's list. Yeah, everyone's uh-huh. got a PlayStation 4, and the Switch, yeah, is mm-hmm. definitely doing its thing. But the 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 one thing that that people want that's you know obtainable that they just heard about or they never had or they had as a child now they have a job and they can afford going back to it is the Nintendo 64. Excellent. Um, <laughs> and it's, you see it in waves, you know, and, and doing uh-huh. this for more than a decade. Um, you can see stuff that will come up and you see stuff that gets forgotten. Mm. You know, it was clear in in the early 2000s um, that the Nintendo, the original Nintendo was like number one. That's all people wanted. And then we saw it transition to Super Nintendo. Um, after that, you know, it went to, to kind of GameCube. Like everybody wanted GameCube because GameCube kind of went off with a, a flip of a switch. You know, it was unusual for, for a Nintendo console. Usually there's a very dramatic, like, sunset fade out um on the <laughs> yeah. nintendo consoles but they transitioned from the the gamecube to the the wii and like a heartbeat um so that that made the point where the the games never became available they never became cheap they never had like it's like super budget phase that most of the other consoles get so there was a huge demand there and no one had the ability to like stock up like that was the one system like there was never a time where where they were like clearancing it out and and um, wholesalers were like dumping them off, uh, so we we could never get prepared for that one. Um, and now we're definitely at 64, but there's a lot of other kind of like butterfly um, effect going on in this market, where like the the Dreamcast out of out of like nowhere, like is is the one thing that I mean, there's you know HDMI cables this year. There are PS4 controller adapters. I guess one thing about the N64 is that. Um... You know, technically, all the games that sort of started, or at least got their, um, um, or at least got their first popularity from, they're still spiritually in like they're still the same game. You know, years like twenty years later on like the Switch or the Wii U. I mean, Smash will always still be Smash. Mario Party will always be Mario Party. So that's why maybe N64 still holds up because you mm-hmm. can go back to all those original games for um, N64 and it's like, I'm still getting the same experience. The graphics might be a little different and some won't be as many features, but you know, I'm playing Mario Kart and it's still fun the same way I'm playing Mario Kart on the Switch. So um, yeah, definitely. I think uh, N64 is, um, it's it's somewhat of a timeless uh, console, I think. Yeah. Almost, you know, I would say it's it's kind of it's that right mixture where technically, you know, it's it's locked in AV, you know, it's, <laughs> it's um, you're a little dated, and some of these games don't upscale so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same with like Goldeneye, you know, we we call it kind of like the one of the mothers of like first person shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was really if you didn't experience it back then, you know, if your first console was the PlayStation three and I, I gave you Goldeneye on the 64 to play, like you're never going to try it. You know, it's, it's not something that, that translates well because it was early 3d. Mm, that's true. Yeah. It was the first console to really transition well to 3d, but also it's one of Nintendo's biggest strengths. You know, they took 2d and transitioned to 3d mm-hmm. Um, and they did it with all of their force. They did it in a, a style that, you know, for at least up until a while, we had um, paired with Nintendo, like paying attention to the user experience, what you walk away with, and how you feel when playing a game. They catered and they nailed more than anyone else. But, you know, at the same time, you, you imagine that this is a system with four controller ports and that almost 
all the popular games used all controllers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. While the PlayStation had the, the capabilities to do it, and even the Dreamcast, only you know a small portion of the games actually did four players on those systems. Um, and then you pile that on top of the nostalgia factor, where it's like a lot of people's first system um, was the the 64 who were buying it now. You know, people that that you know had it hand me down, or they played this through college, they played it through high school. Um, you know, and they're they're now reaching back to their same age friends of nowadays from their their first job or their first real job, um, you know, out of college or just they finally like got set in their life or like you know nothing, nothing connects me to a nostalgic timeline like like playing Mario Party or Mario Kart or or Smash or Goldeneye or Blitz or you know the endless amount of multiplayer games that that console offered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I yeah. I agree. And well, the great thing about N sixty four, like you said, is like like uh, the four player because you know that's that's staying alive now for like a competition mm-hmm. scene. Because um, you know, didn't they have at like Evo? They had they used to have um, Super Smash sixty four or at other Smash conventions. They would have um, kind of. like side. Melee was side the journeys. the more modern one. Um, but for a while, they did side tournaments on sixty four. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, it got dropped for GameCube or Wii or Project M. Um, yesterday, but, uh, or was it two days ago? Um, or sorry, I think it was yesterday. Evo announced that um, yeah, Melee is no longer um, it's no longer part of the main line uh, lineup. So right. Ultimate uh, basically is the the main Smash title for the the main stage now. Potentially, <laughs> there's a lot of inner workings there. They had to drop Smash Ultimate from the the Japanese Evo um, because of licensing. You know, oh, wow. we could still see that happen here, but it's it's definitely like both Dragon Ball uh, and um, and uh, Smash Ultimate have had a lot of corporate success with mm-hmm. these corporations. You know, and and that's one thing where these companies are are structuring technically, you know, tons of money onto making and running these tournaments. Um, so the they're pointing fingers at the other ones, you know, like Evo uh, and these bigger like independent tournaments. They're running these for free, saying, "Why are we spending you know a half a million dollars on on building this event when they're doing it for free?" Um, <laughs> so it's yeah. it's the bigger a game gets and the more that commercializes it. You know, I'm a little bit surprised by Evo's newest announcement of the, their roster list because it feels very commercial. Like a lot of the games on it aren't even out yet. No, uh, like uh, and Samurai Showdown. Right, and as amazing as that's going to be, to be honest, like, how do you run a tournament on a game that's not out yet? You know, there's a lot of rules and backends that go to it, and, and Evo knows this more than anything else, where it's like, you know, how many times do you have a banned character because they have a an infinite, or, you know, they, they break the game? Um, you know, they're they're pulling out a wizard on us where it's like, you know, we, we're expecting to drop this brand new game for the first time ever it's like play mario 3 um you know and 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 see how people played it but it's it's not the same evo that we used to see years ago where it was really about skill based now this is more commercial um now it's being used as a platform to promote your games instead of like find the top players in the world i guess we just got a little political there yeah, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of those things that like you know people do like you know Terrence and I attended Evo this past year, and mm-hmm. I don't know the skill of those players. Even though like some certain like you know corporations are involved with it, like the the skill of them and the amount of training that they do, it's 
it's it's really impressive well it is it's unreal sometimes you know and then we uh we see a lot of that you know new york has one of the the thickest community um the thickest professional gaming scene you know we have so many pro gamers that are here in uh-huh. the city mm-hmm. um yet we have none of the actual tournaments uh you know we have one inner city tournament it's the defend the north which is part of the capcom pro tour and a mm-hmm. few other the, the tours but uh everything else is so much on the west coast where you know space is more affordable mm-hmm. uh but it, it's interesting, you know, so day in and day out, we we talk and we, we do mixes with a lot of these people and just like the skill and the devotion and the commitment they have to it is something that even for like my generation was never a thing. Like if you weren't like a kid that was just amazing at every game, like you never stood a chance at being like a pro player. And now it's it's like these kids can grow up and like, you know, a professional player is is, is a legitimate goal in life. You know, mm-hmm. it's more real than being you know, successful in a band or, or making it big in pro sports. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, New York being where a lot of, uh, you know, the pro players are from, you know, I think Justin Wong's from um, the New York mm-hmm. scene back from yeah. the 90s, early 2000s. And the way that he made, you know, um, all the, the early Evos pop off um, you know, with the whole Daigo thing and <laughs> like all that stuff that kind of led up to how the whole fighting game community is now um it's just kind of crazy to see that like you know people are still going back to those games i mean um a lot of the <clears throat> um a lot of the side tournaments that um evo has are like the the anime <laughs> the, the anime evo or anim animevo i think it's mm-hmm. called um they they're playing the sailor moon um fighting game on there for sne or sorry super famicom and it's crazy people are like legit they're training for that and it's like they're putting Mm -hmm. a lot of time they're training for that game so that way they compete um you know at the competitive level and it's that's kind of cool to think that um other you know there's other competitive uh gaming scenes out there that are using they're not using the most up-to-date version of that game so like you know um competitive tetris the standard um, version or the definitive version of competitive Tetris is still the NES version, which is really funny because, you know, if you watch that documentary, I think it's ecstasy of order, which documents Mm -hmm. the, um, the first couple of Tetris uh, world championships, there's people in there that are, um, you know, that they're playing at such a high level of Tetris, but they're not even gamers. Like they're just, they only play Tetris (laughs) and not only that, but they're, only playing Tetris on an NES and not only that they're playing on an original NES on a CRT TV so that's so specific like you're really good at one thing and it's very specific but it just goes to show that you know um, with retro gaming and competitive gaming um, you know the competition is just kind of all over it's not um, it's not restricted to you know one you know, to the PS4 with the most up-to-date Call of Duty or something. It's, you know, it's for it's for all different generations and different types of gamers. And I think the the kid who won Tetris World Championship, I think he's like 17. Um, yeah. So it's like some teenager won yeah. a game like that's older younger than, than that. <laughs> you know, I, I think he was he was a lot younger. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it, it's great to see these these entry levels um, and everything. So so accessible to people mm-hmm. um you know tetris is one of those always you know that was a, a system seller whether people realize it or not you know it's, it's the one game that we'll find in systems we used to joke and call it the grandma system um 
Because anytime we would get a, a Nintendo traded in with with a Tetris inside of it, usually that was like their grandma system, and that's all she ever played, and that's all she ever needed because Tetris was was so so you know repetitious. But it was it's like bowling, and it's like sports where you pit yourself against yourself, and not so much against a, a competitor, or even versus the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a, a mental standpoint, you know, Tetris is is one of those few things that's just lasted forever you know with it coming back with tetris 99 you know again shows you that this this game this property you know is 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 so emotional but also it's just it's perfect it's simplistic it's awesome um and that just made it better with that that you know world championship on on classic tetris was won by somebody you know who was born after the year 2000 (laughs) after tetris had come out you know it's like by the time he was born people weren't even talking about tetris Mm -hmm. you know so i'm sure there's an amazing story about how how you know he got into it and how he he found that he was good at it and just what made him play it so often um you know i would i would love to see like a follow-up with that and i'm sure maybe there is some out there already um that i just haven't dipped into but it's uh, i bet there's got to be like a great story for that one. Oh yeah definitely yeah you know maybe he like you know picked up tetris like casually or like in a game store or yeah. like or like at an event um uh, but like his yeah. grandma's system yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no it's, it's good that like you know people can pick it up at different levels and try out like at different events um question though uh does video games new york have any events that you guys do, uh, whether in the store or like at a venue, where people can like try uh, not games. In the store, we're uh-huh. definitely you know too crammed with games to do that here. But we do sponsor a lot of stuff, you know, and we have started up a, a bunch of new series. Like our, our newest one is called Hyper Casual. Um, <laughs> it is a series dedicated to to non-competitive gameplay, um, ranging the entire experience of, of video games. So the things over all the years and everyone at every um, age group would have just really like that was their game back then. That was that was their jam. That was the thing that they just, you know, chilled out with. Um, you know, a lot of 64, definitely GameCube, some arcade stuff, but it's more in line with what we do while we we sponsor and give equipment to two events and series like Defend the North, you know, part of the Capcom mm-hmm. Pro Tour that's coming up here and uh, this summer in New York, um, but we like to build and brand like a lot of these more relaxing ones. You know, there's, there's enough competitiveness out there. You know, the stuff like the 64 and arcade play was also about playing together. You know, playing playing these stories and and you know journeying together to to save the world or to to save Manhattan because Shredder lifted it out of the water. You know, we have to help put it back. Um, you know, it's, it's something that we we find very special and that we're gonna keep pushing towards and and giving people the space to play and and not just have to like buy so where would people be able to like find these events that you guys are are holding like do you guys post them on social media like on your like on your website where would they go yeah social media is gonna be number one you know Uh we use facebook more than anything else because it retains the most information but we're also you know you'll find us all on twitter and instagram and all that stuff too um, you know, as, as well as meetup, New York City is, is a big meetup city. Uh-huh. Um, so you can always search for the stuff on there too. But yeah, if you're ever looking for what we're doing, you can just find us on Facebook. It's just Video Games New York. 
Um, you know, you'll click on an events page and you'll see everything that we're either sponsoring or that we're a part of or that we're hosting um, or that we've built throughout the year. Okay, awesome. So, uh, shout out to Defend the North. We did sponsor the event, I think it was 2015 or 2016. Um, mm-hmm. So, we, that was like our first ever, um, I think, esports sponsorship before we started doing a lot of Smash stuff. But aside from that, um, I know I said earlier, you know, people playing Tetris that they're not gamers because they're only playing one game. But, I mean, the hyper casual event, I think that's really cool because it's like, you know, you you can get people who are who probably just play one game, and maybe they want to hang out with other people who do the same thing. And it doesn't mean they're not gamers. It just means that you know they want to they want to have fun. They want to have a good time without people kind of like talking about their kill death ratio or uh, you know just. And I think that's a really yeah. cool way for um, kids to kind of get into gaming when there's no pressure when you're not throwing around the word esports all the time. Right. Um, just, you know, gaming is supposed to be fun. And, you know, that's something that we learned from Iwata um, all those years ago when he was just kind of pushing for all these games to just have good experiences for everyone and not just a specific type of person. Right. And that's the perception with a lot of gaming events nowadays is that you have to be a gamer to go to it. Um, you know, we... We, we kind of looked and asked around, and it's a lot of people that feel that they shouldn't go to these events because they, they don't game that much. Um, and this hyper-casual that we started building, you know, we're getting out, like, teachers um, that are just like, you know, it's it's been a long weekend, you know, I'm looking oh. just to hang out with my other teacher friends, so they show up and they, you know, they just have a place where they can grab a controller and play Mario Kart. Also people that, you know, you know one of the, the first people that we had walk in the door, that the first night we did it was like, look, my sister lives lives in the Canada. Um, you know, I, I, I miss playing, you know, Mario Party with her. You know, I just want to find <laughs> someone to sit down and play Mario Party with. And I was like, that's no problem. You know, this is what this is about. Um, being a good gamer is the last thing that you'll need to be at an event like this. You know, you just need to be able to, to have fun and hang out with people. That's cool. That's awesome. And, you know, to the those kids out there who are just like who – only play the sims or like the only thing you play is like um oh the moms out there like my mom my mom is amazing at tetris and that's like the only game she she's ever played um y'all y'all are still gamers too so um yeah make it out to hyper casual when you can (laughs) you appreciate that uh someday we'll get candy crush in there too oh yeah definitely oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) we'll get the rest of the gamers the mobile gamers Candy Crush meetup. Can you imagine? My mom is obsessed with something called Wordscapes, where it's like Scrabble, but you're playing against yourself because they just make the. uh, It's like Scrabble, but more towards the the crossword uh, side. It's really hard. And she asks me for help, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. (laughs) I'm like, "Uh, you can do this, mom. (laughs) Way to be supportive. Yeah. I mean, you know, my my, uh, journalism degree. Can only help so far with uh, with wordscape. So, <laughs> okay, wow, this has been really fun. Um, okay, so we're gonna start wrapping up a little bit, Dan. So we're gonna enter the lightning round. Okay, without thinking, top five games. Go, 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 go. Uh, personal games that aren't so popular are always my top five. So uh-huh. I do like Lawnmower Man, hey. um, <laughs> Skies of Arcadia, Captain Skyhawk, um, Jet Set Radio, RC Pro Am. Uh-huh. Top five. Mm-hmm. I think that's oh, five. Yeah. Right on. Good yeah. list. <laughs> that was so quick. 
We approve of you. <laughs> uh, you know, I make it a habit to pick the non like traditional like Mario's and, and Zelda's. Like people already know those and people like those. And if I say Final Fantasy is my my top, I'm not gonna put a number to it because then we'll start another debate. Um, yeah. <laughs> people expect that, so we try to find something additional for them to, to look into. Okay, so um, since it is a technically a Hyperkin presented podcast, uh, what are your favorite Hyperkin items? My favorite Hyperkin items. Oh, let's see where to start. Uh, I do really like the Retron seventy seven. Okay. And the uh, the the Mega Retron. Um, those are some of my favorites. The Superboy has been one of the biggest popular ones. You mm-hmm. know, was it a weird, fantastic item that that was produced? Um, you guys have done so many products over the years <laughs> that some of my favorite products are just the ones that are well built, mm-hmm. uh, or that are just you know the right versions of them. You mm-hmm. know, the fact that you guys are still making pretty decent quality sixty-four controllers is like always top in my book um, because there's not enough of those on the market. Right on. Have you? Um, I don't know if you've heard about our Admiral controller that's coming out soon. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about it. Um, yeah, like it's like when it comes out, like definitely, definitely check that out. <laughs> We're like definitely big... gonna look at it. We'll most likely stock it. You know, my my heart will still be in 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 wired controllers, um, but uh, we'll see. You know, I have one of the Hori um, actual 64 controllers, and I, I'm not okay. so not so big on it. But this one is a little bit bigger. So I really can't wait to like get my hands on it and play with it, and we'll we'll see we'll see what our opinion is once we actually put it through the the test. Right on. Yeah, looking forward <laughs> to it. Um, okay, part of lightning round. Okay, what do you love the most about your store? Uh, it's the people, it's the community. You know those those fresh new people that come in every day. It's the regulars that are here, on and off. You know just. Hearing them and talking with them and, and being on a personal level with this many people day in and day out in this industry mm-hmm. that are actually positive people um, that have something to say minus, um, you know, the minus the Internet community, uh, just getting to to spend, you know, more than a decade with these people has been a fantastic part of my life. Right on. That's amazing. Awesome. I love that. Um, and lastly, is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners? Uh, thanks for tuning in. You know, <laughs> I hope you guys uh, enjoy what you hear. If you ever want to talk or if you're ever in New York, swing by the store. We're open every day of the year. You know, we'd, we'd love to hear your thoughts and we'd love just to, to share part of our world with you. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us, Dan. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Dan. Anytime. Thanks for having me a part of it. Okay. Thank okay. You. Awesome. Right. You this have a good fun. day. Yeah, you have a good day. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Bye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Bye. <laughs> wow, what a great conversation about video games. Next time I'm in the Big Apple, I'm definitely going to check out his store. What do you think, Ter? Dan had a lot of really great things to say, and you know it's cool to know that Dan's holding down the fort over there in Manhattan. So if you're in the area, definitely check it out. 
You can learn more about the store at videogamesnewyork.com, or you can go to their Facebook, which is, you know, facebook.com slash videogamesnewyork, their Twitter account, which is at videogamesnyc, or their Instagram account, which is videogamesnewyork. You can learn more about our next episode on our social media accounts. Until next time, play well. And live well. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.